Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, tougher gun legislation could be introduced as early as today. Given the amount of violence that we're seeing within our cities, I feel like it's something that needs to be phased out. We have to have bigger trust in our police force, whether that's going against some of the budget cuts that we've seen against a lot of our police force, but I don't think there is a reason for anyone to own a private handgun within Canada. Conservative leadership candidates are in the final stages of signing up members. The leadership race is really all about selling membership. Um, it's not about winning a national election. It's about signing up enough new conservative members or getting existing members or people who've let their memberships uh, lapse to sign up again and have a say in uh, picking the new leader. And Ontario voters are just days away from electing their next government. I just ask people out there, if you haven't voted, please get out there and vote, and uh, we'd appreciate your, your vote. It's Monday, May 30th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Mark. So let's start by talking about pending gun legislation in Canada. Uh, the federal government is saying that it will get tougher. Uh, there will be tougher gun measures in this country. Uh, this is something the government was planning, but obviously the timing of it is interesting following the events in Texas last week and the the debate that's happened all over North America and beyond as a result of that. Uh, there are people who say that we don't need tougher laws in Canada because we don't have the same level of gun violence in this country. Uh, but we're expecting some new legislation to be introduced this week by the public safety minister, Marco Mendicino. Yeah, and it's, and it's going to be, uh, it could be as early as today, Mark, and it's going to reanimate the whole um you know the whole division conversation in this country, in, in some, you know, uh, you know, opponents of stricter gun laws versus a, a government and its supporters that are committed to bring them in. They campaigned on it. They promised it, and there'll be allegations that uh, you know they've they've accelerated uh, the movement on this after there wasn't a lot of movement on it for months, and now they're moving on it. And uh, some people will point to the the events, uh, recent events in the United States to say the Liberals are capitalizing on uh, a heightened um, shock, heightened concern, heightened uh, disgust at the kind of uh, gun crimes you're seeing in the United States. And on the other side, you'll hear the uh, those opposed to more uh, to, to stricter firearms uh, restrictions, uh, saying that that's all it is, is a political stunt uh, that... You know, uh, we're going to see moving forward in this legislation. The government should be telling us about the uh, their you know, more details of their plan to buy back, uh, you know, uh, weapons they're banning, so-called assault-style weapons, uh, because assault weapons have been banned in this country for decades. So, this is assault-style weapons. We're also going to see limits on. You know, permanent uh, permanent rules to stop uh, the ability to. Um, add 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 uh, more uh, you know, firing capabilities, more bullets, more magazine capability, bigger magazines to by uh, you know uh, by modifying guns. Uh, so the government said they're going to do it. Uh, this is the time they've chosen to do it. So this will reanimate the whole conversation around uh, you, you know gun laws in this country and how far we need to go or how far you know how much further we shouldn't be going. Yeah. And there is some politics to this, obviously. The Conservatives are going through a leadership race, which we'll talk more about in a moment. And and I think 
uh, uh, liberals often feel like this is a wedge issue that works in their favor, that the majority of Canadians are in favor of, of tougher gun laws, even though in there are some conservative MPs uh, and others, but mostly conservative MPs who who know that their, uh, their constituencies are sometimes made up of people who don't support those laws. Yeah, I mean, and... and, and uh... Uh, absolutely politics is at play mark because look at you know where you know where the votes are uh, you know part of this narrative now is gun crimes in the city we've uh, seen all kinds of stories in this country uh, often you know most often the criminal elements in, involved and it's often gang related but it's happening excuse me, it's happening in cities and in urban areas. And those are areas typically uh, represented in this country uh, more by liberals than conservatives, obviously, and uh, new Democrats and, and so on. So, yeah, this is this is about, uh, in many ways, consolidating, you know, progressive and liberal support in urban areas and uh, setting up an issue as the conservatives talk, you know, about picking a new leader and trying to grow the party in many of these urban areas, uh, throwing this up as a uh, as a block to that, uh, saying if if they don't support uh, changes on uh, you know stricter gun measures, then they're not really uh, for urban Canadians because that's where the biggest problem is. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the conservative leadership race, and uh, we've completed the official debates now, and we're we're in the final stages of signing up members. There have been some numbers, uh, you know, it's always interesting to look at the numbers, and, and there are certainly more members who have been signed up this time around than the last race a couple of years ago, and um, mm-hmm. uh, I know a lot of people are are reading into that different different things. Uh, what, what do you what do you make of that? What does it tell us? Well, it's what we've talked about many, many times, Mark, uh, uh, on this podcast, that the leadership race is really all about selling memberships. Um, it's not about winning a national election. It's about signing up enough new conservative members or getting, uh, you know, um, other, you know, existing members or people who've let their memberships uh, lapse to sign up again and have a say in uh, picking the new leader. So they're headed towards 400,000, I think, is the number, which is, uh, I think, 140,000 more uh, than they got uh, during the last leadership race when Aaron O'Toole was chosen leader. So clearly a level of interest. So what I'm going to wait to see in June 3rd is the cutoff. And after that, uh, who signed up the members? Uh, if they're spread across the camps evenly in sort of a ratio that you'd look at and say that doesn't look like it can really affect it really affect the sort of conventional wisdom of, of who's the leader and who's in second. If it seems to support that narrative, uh, then maybe there's not a whole lot to watch for. If one or two of those candidates has sold an enormous, uh, has outsold the others, uh, then it, you know it's worth watching. Uh, still, they have to convert those membership sales into uh, votes uh, for the September uh, 10th reveal, which will now take place in Ottawa, not Toronto. And you know, so you, you, there's still lots of legwork to do. But job one is is selling the memberships. Job two is then getting them to vote for you. Uh, when it's time for the convention. Other thing I'll be watching for is where all the, you know, has, memberships are sold. I, I've started hearing, Mark, in the last week or so about uh, some typically non-conservatives talking about taking out memberships in the party with a view to influencing the, uh, the outcome of the vote. Uh, check of the rules uh, that, that I see with, with the Conservative Party website is you have to to take out a membership, you have to uh, support conservative. Say you support conservative values, you can't belong to another. Uh, you can't be a member of another political party. But 
beyond that, um, you know, will we hear stories about, uh, you know, non-conservatives taking out memberships so they can, uh, in some cases I've been hearing to, uh, to block Pierre Poliev or to, or it, which would mean supporting somebody else. Uh, but to have a say over the leadership, non-conservatives. So I'm going to be watching to see where that story goes. Yeah. And that's, you know, we've heard rumors like that before. So it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if it actually takes hold in this in this particular race. Um, and and if Pierre Poilievre is the target of that. So I know there are a lot yeah. of people outside the Conservative Party who are certainly watching this race with interest because uh, of, a, I guess, a, a concern that, that there's more at stake than just the future of the Conservative Party, that there there might be the future, that this might have implications for the future of politics, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and uh, we've, you know, we've heard that narrative from a number of candidates. I think particularly, uh, I think Jean Charest has talked about what's at stake, and that's why he's back in the race that he, he you know, he's, he, 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 you know, and some, some have described it as a fight for the soul of the party. So, you know, it would not surprise me for a whole lot of lapsed uh, conservatives uh, who maybe, you know, have been more on the progressive conservative side of the party and maybe have not, uh, you know, have, have taken out memberships recently. Uh, that's certainly the, I think, the, the, the group that people like Jean Charest and, and Patrick Brown would be targeting and Scott Aitchison, uh, people from the progressive side of the wing uh, with, you know, uh, suggesting that, you know, the uh, the party, you know, could be in some danger from moving way to the right or moving way over to the alliance side and, 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 and some of those previous alliance policies and some of the membership that represented the alliance and, and using that as the argument to say, look, you got to buy a membership if you want, you know, the kind of the party of Brian Mulroney and to, to a certain extent as well, the party of, of Stephen Harper, uh, you, you need to buy a membership, you need to get in on this. Yeah. All right, let's turn quickly to a couple of other things we're expecting this week, Peter. Um, one of them is the Louise Arbour report on the state of the Canadian military. Uh, she was brought in, of course, after uh, a series of allegations um, of, of uh, misbehavior, of, of inappropriate behavior in the senior ranks of the Canadian Armed Forces, and we're expecting that report very soon. Uh, that's right, Mark. Um, it, 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 we're going to see that today, in fact, um, you know, this afternoon. And I'm not sure there'll be any surprises. This will not be another good day for uh, military, uh, Canadian military leaders. There's no reason to think that this is not, you know, it's been a year since they called in Louise Arbour to, you know, give this another look after we'd already had a chief justice, another chief, another a justice look at it of the Supreme Court, now Louise Arbour, former justice, looking at it as well. So, I mean, um, you know, what I'm going to really be interested to see is exactly what she says about next steps. Uh, you know, it's two things appear to be happening in concert here. Uh, there was a lot of criticism, Mark, as you know, that we would get these reports and these constant promises of uh, to do better in the Canadian military. It wasn't happening under General Vance, and look what's happened with General Vance. He's been implicated to some extent. wasn't happening under uh, Defence Minister Sajjan. Um, and, but you get a sense that uh, there is some movement taking place with Anita Anand uh, as the Defence Minister, and uh, I think we might see a, a, a one-two punch here. We might see 
uh, you know, the the findings we would expect to see from Luis Arbor about what a miserable failure uh, the, the military leaders have done in trying to address this problem. And uh, again, a promise, a repeated restated promise from Anita Nan that it's going to get fixed. We have this latest evidence in front of us from Luis Arbor and basically enough's enough and stuff's going to happen. Yeah. And on Thursday, uh, it's an election in Ontario, a provincial election, and uh, all of the polls seem to suggest that Doug Ford is on his way to another term, and per- and perhaps uh, the most likely scenario, it seems, is another majority government. Um, and I, I know a lot of people a- across the country are watching this election and trying to read into it what it means uh, for politics, but... Uh, Doug Ford seems to have found a sweet spot in Ontario, uh, even though the federal conservatives aren't having the same level of success. Yeah, it's, you know, um, he's he's managed to, uh, a lot of people suggest he's managed to, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, boost the brand back after some difficult times during the pandemic. Um, he's, you know, it's really been interesting to see, you know, some of the union success he's had. He's, you know, really, he's managed to pivot, you know, from the, you know, pandemic and some of the anger over shutting business down to, you know, flipping that now as the pandemic starts to ease uh, to a great extent and business starts to reopen and, uh, you know, uh, he's investing in electric vehicles and investing in all kinds of different things and he's pulling union support over with him because, that means job creation and uh, ultimately in any election uh, it's going to be about the economy if there isn't some other hugely dramatic thing like a pandemic but uh, the pandemic is a little bit in the rearview mirror now and everybody wants to be careful about how far in the rearview mirror it is but you know i think what i'll be watching for is uh, what happens in terms of the opposition um, it looked very much a few weeks ago like uh, the liberals were going to surpass the ndp for uh, to take over the official opposition, that might still be the case. Uh, will Stephen uh, Del Duca, as a Liberal leader, even win his own seat outside of Toronto? Uh, Andrew Horvath's uh, got a, taking a fourth run at this. Uh, do the Liberals jump over the NDP? Uh, I'm not sure that still looks as likely as it did a little while ago, but uh, I, I think it's really the polls suggest, and, and this this close and this many polls uh, suggest they're you know, uh, while they may not be dead on in terms of accuracy, it sounds like they've got a, a trend identified. So uh, you know, it looks like it's going to be Doug Ford in Ontario. And the question is, uh, who's going to be staring uh, across him from the opposition benches uh, after June 3rd? All right, we'll see what happens. Another interesting week ahead in Canadian politics. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. I think when you look overall, like the big picture when it came to the pandemic, uh, positives for me was that communities were coming together. Now here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Bruce Arthur argues, we're already suffering pandemic amnesia. Arthur writes, there seems to be a determined, urgent imperative out there to not only pretend the pandemic is over, but not to revisit it at all. Even as the virus continues to mutate, governments are abandoning the idea of even simple interventions like ventilation or masking. And you can forget the idea of a formal inquiry into previous actions. But remembering means learning that misinformation is a cancer that deforms everything, and inequality is a moral vacuum, and electing the wrong government has costs. 
we forget to protect ourselves, and it can leave us defenseless for what's next. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues ideas are needed for tackling inflation. The Sun writes, Regular Canadians are hurting, and politicians aren't doing all that much about it. The cost of living and inflation are serious problems right now, and they're not getting the attention that they deserve. Instead of just hoping for the best, we need to talk about rolling back taxes and user fees, halting monetary policies that just worsen inflation, and offering supports to people. We need our politicians to appreciate the seriousness of the matter and do all that they can to look after the public they serve. In the National Post, Chris Selly argues the boringness of Charles and Camilla bodes well for the monarchy's future. Selly writes, Charles and Camilla's recent visit to Canada may offer a glimpse at a sustainable future for the monarchy that most Canadians could at least continue to tolerate. As terrific as Elizabeth has been at her job, we're not looking for perfection and certainly do not require it in a head of state. We're just looking for some concrete to pour into the country's democratic foundations. Elizabeth embodies so much about Britain's and Canada's history, and her successors will not enjoy the adulation that came with her peerless record of service. But nor will they be lumbered with the burden of it. They can make their own way. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend question period. In Mirabel, Quebec, Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will make an announcement in support of the aerospace industry and the Canadian Armed Forces. And Tourism Minister Randy Boissonneau will attend a news conference in Ottawa to mark Tourism Week. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, May 30th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.